Um, I am going to go ahead and launch straight into a prayer, believe it or not. So if you, if you uh, were not here for the first two sessions, we talked about how Jesus saw greatness in Peter before he saw greatness in himself. And Jesus, on his first encounter with Peter, said, you are the rock. But we know by reading the Gospels and later on in the Bible that Peter's life was anything but rock-like. And yet, you know, J- Peter has th- this journey that we could follow where he encounters Jesus and takes steps of faith in such a way to where he, he's going to grow into the man that Jesus already knows that he is inside. So with that in mind, let's pray as we get started. Father, just bless us and, and speak to us, and I pray, Lord, whatever it is that we would have uh, hear from you, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start off with another story as well. I wasn't planning on telling the joke. It was a spur of the moment thing. So part of my message is this, is that I come from a family of big risk takers. Uh, I don't know if you guys are heavy risk uh, takers. Uh, Many many of you guys like to play it safe or ladies. Uh, I'm I'm sure some of you love uh, high risk things. Well, I I want you to know that um, I I went down to Lake Jackson. I lived in Atlanta for about 12 years and I went down to Lake Jackson with my friends and we were uh, tubing. And so let me me ask you a question. When you tube and somebody's on the back, and let's just say they're pretty much grown adults, like 20 years old, how fast normally do you go, you know, if it's going pretty fast, how, how fast would your boat go? Anybody want to shout it out? 35. About 35. That's actually pretty good. That'd be pretty fast, right? So what we were doing is we were trying to knock people off. So we were taking turns and we were, you know, getting the boat up pretty fast and we were shooting them over the wake and slingshotting them and people would fall off. And so we had all this bet going. It was a money bet and the whole thing, like buy dinner kind of a thing. And so I said, you're not going to knock me off. And so I was in the back and I was hanging on to these, uh, you know, these handles on this big, huge inner tube. And pretty soon they get up to 35 miles an hour, then 40 miles an hour, then 45 miles an hour. And I got to tell you, 45 miles an hour, man, I mean, when you're skipping off the water, it seems like you're in the air for a very, very long time. You're like, like this, and I'm hanging on to this thing, and he's going 45 miles an hour, which is really, really fast. And for some reason, they couldn't knock me off, and I was really happy about it. And I started shouting to my peril. I started saying this, is that all you got? And they're like, what did you say? And I'm like, is that all you got? And so he he starts going up and he goes 50 miles an hour. And I'm going 50 miles an hour on the back of this thing. And I'm just laughing. And I go, and he he couldn't knock me off. And it was scary, scary. And I'm just back there thinking, oh, this is, if I fall off, it's going to hurt. And I said, is that all you got? And so he's like, okay, that's it. So he decided to do one of those things where he kind of turns and I slow down, but he doesn't slow down. And he slingshots me across the wake. And you guys know this, if you boat at all, when you slingshot somebody going 50 miles an hour, they're probably doing like 80 miles an hour, right? So all all of a sudden he slingshots me over this wake and I fly off and literally people watching must have seen this. Because I'm telling you, I was like Superman. I covered like, it felt like one third of the lake. I flew off that thing and I was going so fast. And I I literally had time to say, wow, look at that. I'm really high. That's really going to hurt. That's going to hurt when I hit that water. I had time to do that. I was in the air that long. 
and I hit the water, and it was like hitting that wall, okay? I immediately broke three ribs, okay? I hit the water, boom, and I, and I lost my breath. And to tell you how long I lost my breath, do you, you ever lose your breath and you can't gain it? It took so long to where he stopped the boat, turned around, and then went over to me and then sputtered and then grabbed my life jacket to pull me up, and it wasn't until they were pulling me up when I took my first breath. That's how much the, the, the breath was knocked out of me. And I remember thinking it was like seven at night, it was like dusk, we had to drive an hour back to Atlanta, then they dropped me off, I had to get in my car because all my family was gone, so I had to get in my car and drive to the emergency room, and of course, you know this, they can't do anything for broken ribs, so they wrap me up, and they're like, good luck, and they're like, find a 24-hour pharmacy, and they're like, the only CVS we know is like 45 minutes away, I'm like, great, so I find myself at three in the morning at the CVS, and they're like, it'll be just a minute, I'm like, there's nobody here, how's it taking you a half an hour, you know, I think that's their standard thing, just wait, we just want you to suffer, because we're, anyway, so I'm sitting there for like half an hour, and I'm just thinking to myself, one thing, which is this, which is the next time that I decide to do something risky, I should probably pause for a moment and assess the risk scenario, because it would probably have been wise. Uh, those three broken ribs were certainly a lesson. So let me say this. Uh, a lot of us are okay with risks, but to be quite honest, from my experience in life, a lot of us don't like risks. And especially in whatever arena it is in our life, it's like the more, the more sacred the arena, the less tolerance for risk. So let me read for you. Let's jump right into it. Matthew chapter 14. Here's how the story goes today. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And we're going to come to that phrase in just a second, but let me finish reading it. And it said, while he dismissed the crowd and after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Then it says, then later that night, he was not there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. And then it says, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before the dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, rightfully so. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So right away, there's some very, very practical lessons that we could learn from this. But here's the first before anything else. In fact, there's three truths for today. Here's the first one, which is the promises of God are greater than our fears. You see, the promise was actually given. Now, it's not on the screen, but I want you to know that another gospel says that actually uh, Jesus' quote was, let us go to the other side. In the Matthew version, it says he, his intention was to go to the other side ahead of him so they can go up there and pray. And, and the other gospel says, let us go to the other side. Well, I got, I, got a, I got a question for you, and it's this, okay? No matter how scary the wind is and no matter how scary the waves are, if Jesus says you're going to make it to the other side, then you're going to make it to the other side. I would have loved, even before we dive into this story, I would have loved for some person in the story, in this narrative, to have reminded everybody that Jesus said, let us get in the boat and let us go to the other side. Because that's, that's God's intention announced clearly. And so if Jesus says it, I would have loved for somebody to have been totally confident. And yet it says they're expert fishermen and they're completely terrified. Do you, do you realize how scary the winds and the waves would have to have been in order for expert fishermen who've lived their entire lives to be terrified? 
And yet, they don't believe. You know what I would have loved? I would have loved in the middle of this story for it to be like, and they were buffeted on the wind and the waves. And then all of a sudden, somebody said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say we're going the other side? Let me check. Did, do you remember hearing him say other side, other side? Yes, other side. Did he say other side? I'd have said, okay, we're going the other side. And somebody says, what do you mean? We're sinking. And the guy would have said, maybe Jesus knows a shortcut. Maybe we're going to go down and just pop up on the other side. Either way, I'm believing that Jesus said the other side. It's important to first realize that God's promises are greater than our fears. And so it doesn't matter what you're facing in life. And some of you, you're going through a great season. Some of you are going through a horrific season right now. And no matter how hard you're rowing, and no matter how you know, strong the winds are, and how bleak the situation is, just know this, that God's promises are greater than any of the things that we fear in this world. Uh, God's promises can be trusted. Uh, it reminded me of this story it's a loose uh, connection story, uh, but I have to tell it because it was involved my uh, six-year-old daughter. My cat was lost for like a month, okay? My cat was outdoor indoor cat. Well, the cat, the cat goes outside, and it's gone for a month. Now, when a cat's gone for like two days, you know, you have posters everywhere. When it's gone for like a week, you know, the posters are getting kind of irritating to the neighborhood. And then when the cat's gone for like over three weeks, you're thinking to yourself, that cat's gone, right? Just absolutely gone. His name was Tony. And we're thinking, oh, okay. So, you know, we even stopped praying for him when I tucked him in the bed because not that we didn't want to, but I just didn't know how to make the transition, right? Because I'm thinking we need, we need to prepare these kids that the cat is gone. And so I remember, um, you know, tucking Sarah into bed. She's six years old. And I remember saying, uh, uh, okay, uh, let's go to bed now. And she goes, well, aren't we going to pray for Tony? And I was like, honey, maybe it's time for you to realize that, you know, Tony might not be coming back. Something might have happened to Tony. That's a pretty difficult conversation for your six-year-old. But however, she was unwilling to accept that. So she looked at me and said, didn't you say from stage that God answers prayers? I'm like, don't you do that. Don't you, don't you say that to me. And she's like, if God answers prayers, I said, well, sometimes he answers prayers. And, and, and it, it's not guaranteed that it, that it always happens. She goes, no, no, God answers prayers. We're going to pray for Tony. I'm like, okay, she's leading the way. So we pray. And so she goes, God, she goes, I pray that you get all the stars in the sky and you form a big arrow to show Tony the way home. And I'm over here like, you know, tear down the eye, right? And I'm like, okay, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm like, okay, honey. So I tuck her into bed. I walk downstairs. I get down to the bottom stairs, and I get near the front door, and I hear, Meow. I'm like, no, come on, no way. No way. After a month, I open the door, and Tony's there. Well, immediately I take Tony over to Liz, you know, and, you know, the old, you know, it's just unbelievable kind of reunion thing. Well, I go up to show Sarah, and Sarah was like almost asleep, and I barge into her room. I turn on the light, and I go, Sarah, Sarah, you're never going to believe this. And Sarah sits up, and she's like, Tony, and she gives him a big hug, and she looked over at me, and she goes, Dad. I said, what? And she goes, when you looked up, did you see the arrow? And I'm like, yes, because that's the right answer right? That's the right answer. It's the only answer. You know, it, it's amazing the faith and the belief and the trust of a child, isn't it? Right? Come on, you're amazed by it. And yet sometimes in our lives, the older we get and the more we know as experts in life, the more we assess and calculate the odds. I want to show you a few slides of some, uh, some maps, okay? Here's the first one. 
This is a map of uh, Israel, and many of you know this, but this is the uh, Dead Sea, which is down here, and then there's the Jordan River that connects to the Sea of Galilee, and by the way, uh, I don't know why they call it the Sea of Galilee, it should be more like a lake. It's actually the only and largest uh, freshwater lake in all of Israel, and so, you know, the fishing communities like uh, Capernaum and Bethsaida are on the northern, the northwestern side of where, uh, on the upper uh, end of the Sea of Galilee, but what you may not be able to see is that the, 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 the Dead Sea is actually 1,400 feet below sea level. 1,400 feet below sea level. That's just really, really low, which is the reason why it has a lot of its issues, right, the Dead Sea. I want you to know that the Sea of Galilee is still 700 feet below sea level, but that's actually a pretty big incline that goes up the Jordan River for such a short amount of space. So if you really look at it, it's sort of like this. It's like the Dead Sea's down here, and then, you know, the Sea of Galilee's up here, and it's 1,400 feet below, 700 feet below. Here's, here's another picture of the Sea of Galilee close up. I want you to know that it's uh, seven miles across uh, at its widest. It's 160 feet deep. And as you can see, the Jordan River sort of comes up and, and it meets this right over here. Now, what you don't see in the photo is, is right north of the Sea of Galilee, which would be modern day Lebanon, that there's Mount Hermon, which actually sits 9,000 feet above sea level. And there's actually snow caps, which by the way, side note, wasn't planning on saying this, but remember when Jesus met the woman at the well, and she said, are you greater than my father Jacob, who has dug the well? Because the well goes so deep, it taps into the snow caps of Mount Hermon, which is why it's ice cold. I've drank from that well. That, there's no charge for that. That's free information. So here's the next slide right now. The next slide is this. Now, believe it or not, I took this picture myself, uh, right from Google Images, and this... this <laughs> But this shows the mountain ranges all around the Sea of Galilee. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but there are mountain ranges on every single side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, do you know what that means? And you could keep that on that screen for just a second. It means this, that somehow God designed the Sea of Galilee almost as if it's intentionally designed to be uh, a place where squalls uh, you know, just storm up from calm waters to an instant squall immediately. You know why? Because all the hot air from the south comes up from 1,400 feet below sea level and travels up the canyon of the Jordan River and it meets the cold air coming down from Mount Hermon and it's literally right in the Sea of Galilee and then God somehow placed mountain ranges all around the Sea of Galilee and any weatherman will tell you when the hot air and the cold air mix, all of a sudden there's a big swirl. And I didn't believe and I'm thinking in my scriptures like how in the world are... You know, all of a sudden, suddenly, there's a squall. And you're like, what do you mean suddenly there's a squall? And then I was in Israel, and they told me in 2009 that back in the 80s, that the waves were so high, they were 16 feet, and they destroyed Peter's, they had like a restaurant, like Peter's restaurant right off that coast, and actually destroyed the restaurant. I'm not even kidding. And, and it's this little tiny sea. And it's almost as if, man, there are certain arenas of our life that it feels like God's intentionally using the storm for his purposes. And so it's just a great uh, reminder that God does the same in our lives. So here's, here's the next photo of an actual boat that was dug up from the mud of Sea of Galilee, uh, believed to be about 2,000 years old. And it could fit about 12 people comfortably. And the, and the boat that they would have been in wasn't a typical fisherman's boat or a work boat. They were just getting in a boat to go to the other side. So chances are it wouldn't have been much bigger than this boat right here, which again will show you why the you know, disciples were so scared. So... Let's continue on with the story, shall we? Look at uh, verse number 27. 
It says, but Jesus immediately said to them, oh, wait a minute, did I skip something? I skipped something, didn't I? No, I did not. Okay, so Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down off the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. Then it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, there's so many lessons to be learned, right? There's so many lessons to be learned. But I want you to know that before we even get into the word picture of Peter actually walking on the water, let's talk about Jesus for a minute. Jesus says that he walked out to them on the lake, and they were terrified, rightfully so, because they thought it was a ghost. And by the way, how did they not know it was Jesus? Who else could it have been? Right? Sometimes in the storms of our lives, we have trouble recognizing God's presence as well, don't we? And other people are like, uh, duh, he's in your life. He's right there. He's working, and yet we can't see it. Well, Jesus is there, and then it, in the Gospel of Mark, again, it's not... Oh, actually, I do have it on the screen. Look what Mark says about Jesus' intentions. Uh, verse number 48, in the same story, other Gospel, it says, uh, As the night was ending, he came uh, walking to them on the sea, for he wanted to pass by them. So the, so the Gospel of Mark tells us Jesus' intention. When Jesus walked out onto the water to them, it actually says that Jesus intended to pass them by, to which I thought to myself, is Jesus trying to race them to the other side? Like, you know, what is Jesus' intention here? But believe it or not, we could learn a little bit from this. I'm going to read what I wrote. Actually, we could learn the Greek word for this phrase that makes up the word pass by is perikomahi. And, and that's, that, that's the word that means pass by, but it is also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament or the Septuagint, and it's a term that is technically used as a theophany. And a theophany is a you know, $50 word that basically says that it's, it's God's intention to reveal his might or his majesty. He reveals himself in a theophany. It's the same when, when Moses was, you know, uh, Jesus or, or God told Moses, uh, I, I intend to pass by you uh, in the cleft of the rock. That, that is actually the word theophany. It's the same word right here, or, the, or pericomi, which is a theophany. Uh, it's the same thing with Elijah that I mentioned yesterday. When, when Elijah was there and he said, I intend to pass you by. It, it's anytime God shows up on a burning bush kind of a moment. It's a theophany that says, I'm intentionally showing my greatness to you. Well, that's that word that's actually used. So when Jesus was coming by, you know what his intention was? His intention was to reveal uh, to them who he is. Like, hey, I'm Jesus walking on the water. And by the way, if you don't believe me uh, that, that that was the motivation of Jesus, you can go back, read it later. It's not on the screen. But the book of Mark actually says this. Jesus did this because he knew their hearts were hardened and they did not believe about the fish and the loaves. So Jesus' motivation was to demonstrate his greatness to them by walking on the water because of their uh, doubt and their unbelief because of the miracle that he just did. So think about that. So that's Jesus' intention, which brings us to our second point, which is this. The second truth for today is a step of faith always has an element of risk. 
I mean, listen, there's so many lessons that you've heard over the years, you know, like uh, the, the wind and the waves represent the troubles in our lives. Uh, Peter steps out on the boat and, you know, when he looks on God, when he looks at God and he has his eyes on Jesus, he's a walking miracle. But when he takes his eyes off of him and he, and he puts it on the world, he begins to sink. And then Jesus gives him a lesson about faith. And all that stuff is completely relevant and true. But I want you to know that none of that is applicable without Peter first stepping out of the boat. Did you know that it was actually Peter's idea? Jesus didn't call for this miracle. Jesus didn't say, I'm about to do something great with you, Peter. Step on the water. Peter himself is, is, is recognizing God for who he really is after experiencing the miracle we talked about this morning and so many other things. Peter himself says, if it is you, I know that if I step on this water, you're gonna be there to catch me. You're gonna be there. You're gonna do great things. I'm not sure what Peter thought, but he certainly thought that God was gonna do great things. And so the, the element of stepping out of the boat is really the biggest lesson that we could take from this. And so uh, I want you to know that John Orberg wrote a book, uh, and its title is one of my favorite titles I've ever heard. It says, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. I think that so many of us, we actually assess risk in such a way to when God, if God calls us to do something, we're just afraid and we're too comforted or we're too much in our comfort zones, a lot of us, and we're not willing to actually risk it for the biscuit, right? Because when we decide to put it all on the line and we say, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, there has to be some element of risk. If you do something that doesn't require any risk, I would say it's not a God-sized vision at all. Because a God-sized vision is this. Hey, I'm going to do something, and if God doesn't show up, we're toast. Right? That's a God-sized vision. And so if God gives you a vision that doesn't make any sense, it's going to almost always, always involve an element of risk. Let's not forget what Proverbs tells us. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And then finally, the third and final truth that I think we could draw from this is this, is that Peter was the only one with a great story. <laughs> now, I know this sounds pretty uh, on the surface kind of a thing, but think about this, okay? What was the story of the other 11 people, right? They were weenies, every single one of them, right? Nobody has a story like Peter. Peter's the only one that stepped out of the boat. Can you imagine, uh, you know, sit, them sitting around, they're like, man, remember that one time we were on the Sea of Galilee and nothing happened? Man, wasn't that a great time? Remember that? Like, we were both sitting around looking at each other. I was looking at you, you were looking at me across from the boat. Like, we were both breathing. Man, wasn't that a great time? Like, that's their story. That's not Peter's story. Peter's story is he gets out of the boat and walks on water, and he's the only human being to do so. Um, I want you to know that my life's, uh, my life's goal, my, my life's motto is making memories. And, and, and I, in fact, uh, a lot of times when I've been dared to do crazy things, I'll say, no way, I'm not doing that kind of thing. And then my best friend will look at me and say, dude, come on, man, memories. And that's the only thing that he has to say to me. And when he says memories, I'm like, oh, man. And he's right, because I want to be the guy with the stories. So I'm like, okay, fine. And I'll do things just for the memories. We were walking through the mall, and there was like a big runway in front of JCPenney, and there was like 150 people sitting there, and they're waiting for this big modeling agency to show, and they're going to model all these things. And all the workers are right there, and Jeff says, hey, let, let, let's get on the runway, and let's just walk it. Let's pretend like, you know, we were like 16 years old at the time. He's like, let's, let's walk it, and let's show off our clothes. 
I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, we're going to get thrown in jail. And he goes, he's like, what, is he, what are they going to do, throw us in mall jail? He's like, come on, man, let's just do it. And I'm like, Jeff, no, man, that is just not a thing to do. And he looks at me and he goes, dude, dude, memories. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Okay, so I did it. I don't recommend rebellion or illegal things, by the way, kids, if you're in this room. But I did do that, and I remember walking down. It was hilarious. Everybody cheered. We, we walked past each other. We high-fived each other. It was a little cool moment for us. But it wouldn't have happened if not for the memories. Well, listen, Peter is the guy in the Bible who rushes out and cuts off you know, Malchus's ear. Peter's the guy who steps up and says, I'll die for you, Lord. Peter's the guy who rushes into things always. And he, so here's the, here's the guy, the only guy who steps out of the boat. What we see in Peter is Peter starts to trust God more and more. And at the end, Peter's the one with the most stories. And by the way, in the, in the, in the New Testament, you don't hear anything from Bartholomew. You, you don't hear anything from Thaddeus. You don't hear anything like that. No, you hear stuff from Peter, James, and John, the ones who stepped out and the ones who trusted God. And they're the ones with the stories to tell. Um, So let me just wrap it up by saying this. Um, If you want to see God do great things in you and through you, then what is it that God's asking you to do? Uh, If it's to give financially and it feels a little risky, uh, would, would you be willing to say no step of faith is required with that risk. So you know what? We're just going to do it because you say so. If, if God's asking you to take a step of faith in your business or maybe even, even in a relationship or have a difficult conversation or whatever it is that God's asking you to do in your career path or, you know, whatever school you're going to go to or whatever the case may be, you know, just realize God calls us every day to, you know, assess risk, but also to realize that God's promises are greater than every fear of risk that we have. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, we are incredibly grateful for you and your word. And Father, as we are starting to journey with Peter and starting to see his faith grow more and more rock-like, I pray, Lord, that we would realize that there is greatness in all of us. There's, there's greatness here in this room, God. You, you want to do so many great things in us and through us. Lord, you want to use the people right here in this auditorium to do phenomenal things for you. Father, it just all starts with us recognizing the same thing that Peter did. So I pray, Father, that we would always be willing to not only hear from you, but give us the courage to actually respond. Whatever it is that you're asking us to do, Lord, help us to do. And when these things take place in our lives, we'll give you all the honor and the praise and the glory. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.